Hello, hello everyone. This is Dr. Erin Stair, and it's another episode of Causes or Cures. I hope you guys are doing okay. We're still in this pandemic, um, so I hope everyone's hanging in there. There has been a lot of chatter about mental health during the pandemic, particularly during lockdowns, a time when people are more isolated than normal, not doing their normal stuff, maybe taking a hit economically, right? In a past episode, I featured Dr. John Kelly, who is an expert on opioid addiction, and he talked about what was going on with the opioid epidemic during this pandemic. Um, So if you get a chance to listen to that, do that, because a lot of people out there are struggling. In this episode, we're going to talk about mental health in general with a special focus on alcohol consumption. And here to discuss this with me is Dr. Connor Farron, who is a consulting psychiatrist at St. Patrick's University Hospital in Ireland. He is an expert on all things addiction, alcohol misuse. Um, he has written extensively on this topic. He has a few books, and, and he has conducted years of research. So he's the real deal, and I'm glad he is here to talk this over with us. So he's going to talk about what he's seeing during the pandemic and the lockdowns in terms of mental health issues in both adults and kids, right? He's going to talk about alcohol use and also alcohol's link to suicides in general. Um, what, What does that look like? What should people be aware of? And also, what kind of help is available out there? And if you need help, how can you sort through all of this stuff that is now available online um, to find something that actually works? So let's get Dr. Farron on the line from Ireland. Here we go. Anyways, um, Dr. Farron, thank you so much for doing this. Um, And uh, the topics, I know the topics we're about to discuss are in the news, so I'm excited about that um, because people are really interested in them. But I figured first, I know you, but other people don't know you. So if you can kind of give a brief overview of who you are and the work you do. Thank you, Erin. I'm a professor of psychiatry here in Trinity College in Dublin, and I'm a consultant or an attending psychiatrist at St. Patrick's University Hospital. Um, I have a background in addiction research, mental health research. I spent about 10 years in the States at Mount Sinai and Yale University doing research and teaching. Um, And then I returned to Ireland about 20 years ago um, and have engaged both in research and in teaching and in clinical treatment of of patients with both uh, addictive and mental health disorders. So I have a background in all aspects of mental health and addiction uh, over, you know, over about 30 years. Um, and that's my, that's, that's my background. And I, I spend the majority of my time uh, uh, treating people. Um, and I deal with all sorts of addictions, primarily alcohol, but marijuana, opiates, uh, cocaine, um, yeah. and particularly particularly dual diagnosis of so people who have both a mental health problem and an addiction problem is really where, where I, I am, where I'm specialized. Um, that's great. Thank you. And, um, so you, you are an expert, um, on addiction and, um, so, you know, obviously we're in a pandemic right now, 
and lockdowns are happening. You know, lots of people consider them a public health necessity. Um, so in your opinion, how is the pandemic in general or lockdowns, how is it Im impacting addictions, um, mental health? Um, and I don't know if you can talk about kids and adults, um, but what, what, are, what are you seeing? Well, uh, I'm seeing an enormous variety of responses. Uh, at, the, at the moment in Ireland, we've just come out of a lockdown. Uh, we're having a break over Christmas and the likelihood is we'll go back into lockdown again just after Christmas. Um, and I see just a wide range of individual responses. But there are certain things that I've noticed that are perhaps a little bit bizarre, a little bit unexpected. Uh, I have a large minority of my patients and indeed some of my friends um, that are doing really fine in lockdown. Uh, these are people with a background maybe of social phobia, of anxiety, perhaps uh, somewhat paranoid in outlook, maybe reclusive, and they love lockdown. They are uh, fine in their lifestyle. They, they, they live a relatively isolated lifestyle for, for a variety of reasons, but their feeling is that the world has joined them. Uh, and they're okay with that. Um, and so uh, what that has done for me, as I, as I hear it, for, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a large minority, uh, but, it's, but it's definitely there. Um, and it really has given me an insight into the idea that social conformity is one of the things that, that, that upsets a lot of people who perhaps have a paranoid outlook or social phobia. And when they find it difficult to um, participate and, and participate normally in the in the day-to-day -day world then a lockdown suits fine and they're thrilled that everybody else is joining them so that is an unusual but a very definite uh, number of people now unfortunately the majority of people uh, hate it um, and I would see in my, my, my clinical patients an absolute rise in background generalized anxiety there's a lot of people find the, the, the stress of the pandemic and the stress of the lockdown very, very anxiety provoking. Uh, and it's, it's all around you. You hear it in the TV, you hear it in the radio, you hear it in the daily statistics, you hear it in the, the levels of restriction, you hear it in the politicians' pronouncements, you hear it in the health experts' warnings, you see it in face masks, you see it in people that, you know, cl close down in their houses and their apartments. So that uh, change in, in the general ambience and, and the data life does produce a background general anxiety. Some people, it goes as far as a, a complete paranoia, but by and large, everybody is feeling an, a significant increase in, in background anxiety. For most, that's as far as it goes. It's unpleasant, um, but it just stays at the level of anxiety. For a minority, that anxiety goes up to the clinical level. It goes up to complete panic and indeed major depression or, or full clinical depression. And because uh, a large number of people with that background anxiety may not have dealt with a full clinical panic or a full clinic depressed disorder, they don't actually know what it is. Uh, so they may say, you know, it just feels rotten and they're just not aware that they have crossed a threshold into a uh, full clinical disorder, um, and uh, which is uh, 
distressing for them. It's educational for me uh, because I certainly find myself intervening more frequently with people that have been doing very well for years or perhaps people that had no anxiety or panic disorder or, or depressive disorder, uh, but the 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 level that which people are suffering crosses into that clinical uh, clinical level, and they don't have the 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 wherewithal to say, "Wow, this is yeah. going back into a clinical level of disorder." And so I suspect that not just among the people I see, but I suspect in a large number of people that don't come to medical or psychiatric attention, that there's a large number of people out there have crossed that threshold and aren't aware of it. And so that, they don't even have a history of anything. They don't have the history. Um, yeah. uh, I, I, I do believe it is a minority that, that actually crossed the clinical threshold. The, mm. the, the sensation of anxiety, apart from those that, that uh, the, the small number that, that as aware enjoy the lockdown, the sensation of general anxiety is absolutely universal. But yeah. certainly the minority that cross in, they may not have the language or the experience uh, or the wherewithal to process it and saying, gosh, this is now a clinical entity as opposed to just what everybody's going through. Yeah, and that would be for kids and adults, right? Probably. It would be for kids and adults. You know, a lot of adults would have developed the language to comprehend and deal with it. And it's a, and, but a lot of kids would be going into it and might feel this um, in a, any sort of way, um, just a general discomfort. Uh, but they may not have experienced it before. They may not be able to articulate it uh, and certainly wouldn't be experienced enough to say, wow, this is a clinical level of depression or a clinical level of, 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 of panic. I need help. So my strong suspicion is that there's a vast lot of people out there who aren't aware that what they're going through is actually a clinical depression or a clinical anxiety. That, I mean, that's really interesting. And um, yeah, and especially for like parents to watch out for and their kids too, um, you know, in the throes of lockdowns and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm kind of, I, what's the, it's the Myers-Briggs personality test I have the same personality as Emily Dickinson so like I'm completely fine in lockdown <laughs> but I'm one of those people <laughs> and uh, how, how's the how's the poetry writing going uh, yeah I'm actually working on a novel I'm writing oh like, there you go that's the, it's going well I just I'm like writing a chapter a day and I'm like this is great but um I know not everybody's like me so <laughs> um but I appreciate that distinction and that is really really interesting so uh, you talked about, you know, anxiety and this this general state, um, but can you talk more specifically about what's going on with addictions? Yeah, uh, there's a lot happening in the, in the world of addiction um, during this uh, pandemic and during the lockdown. And the interesting thing is that it's very varied. There's no absolute set pattern. Um, with regards to alcohol, uh, there is a definite general increase in use. Uh, I have a, a friend working in the alcohol industry, in the drinks industry, and he's quite clear about what he's seen over the last six to nine months, which is that uh, during the lockdown, during the, the, the pandemic, um, that a lot more people are drinking at home. And so sales in what are called off-licenses here or liquor stores or supermarkets that, could, that, that have a license to sell liquor, all of that has increased enormously. He's talking about 40, almost 50% increase in wow. what is called the off trade, the off license, the, um, the general uh, trade. So there's a lot of people 
um, decided to cope with the pandemic by just increasing their alcohol consumption. That's primarily wine, but beer and, and spirits and, and uh, to a lesser extent. Um, but a large amount of increase in general consumption in alcohol. Obviously, however, with restaurants and the restaurants and, uh, you know, being shut down or maybe going on to take out only and, and, and not um, um, general, you know, uh, in, in premises sales, restaurants obviously have done very badly. And the alcohol sales that, that go through restaurants have likewise have fallen precipitously. Um, so there's a massive shift in the chain, a change in the way that people are drinking and people are drinking more at home, but they are drinking more. Uh, so that's that's the first observation. The second, which is probably even a little bit more worrying, is that the number of people who already suffer from an addictive disorder, say, who are alcohol dependent, a lot of them are relapsing in the pandemic, in the lockdown. So uh, as you may be aware, uh, a lot of Alcoholics Anonymous and self-help groups have shifted away from face-to-face meetings to online meetings only. And the problem about that is that the number of people engaging in addiction therapy online has fallen relative to face-to-face. My patients tell me it's it's less personable, uh, the sense of connection uh, is there, or the the, the people that they meet are different. Um, And so consequently, the pattern that they may have for developed for their own recovery about going to this meeting with this bunch of people or that meeting with that bunch of people is totally blown up and they end up going online. Um, it's it's less personable. There, there's a, sometimes a little bit of security concerns online. Uh, I've heard reports of people being, you know, photobombed or people just coming in, making rude comments and then shifting out of a Uh, an AA meeting online. So there is a concern that it's less secure and uh, and less uh, cohesive than a face-to-face meeting. And so for all of those reasons, the use of AA has fallen very, very significantly. Now, in some places that aren't in full lockdown, um, you know, at various stages in Ireland and in the UK and at various places in the States at various times, face-to-face meetings have come back. Um, and so people are, are able to go to those. But, you know, a month or two later, if the, the status level or the, the arrangements in a, in a locale have changed, then they have to go back to online only. So what that is for, for those, you know, there, there's two negative forces that work simultaneously. There's a lot more drinking going on. Um, and then there's a lot less recovery support available. Well, that produces um, a lot more relapse among people who have an already established alcohol dependence and have been struggling with their recovery. Uh, the Unfortunately, the, the other group is that uh, those that may have been drinking moderately prior to the pandemic, and then the pandemic and the lockdown pushes them into drinking dependently. So the quantity and the pattern in which they drink actually goes up and it moves them from social dash possibly heavy drinkers into the dependent category. And what I have seen is that a significant, thankfully small, but a definite number of people that their their alcohol dependence began at the beginning of March or April. They literally can time it to the lockdown of the pandemic, um, and that's when they they cross the borderline. 
Um, and even then, some of them are coming into me six, nine months later and actually require full detox, full treatment, full rehabilitation because wow. their dependence has become so established in that relatively brief uh, period of time. Um, just literally their consumption has gone up to a dependent and uh, problematic extent. And some of them uh, require full detoxification and rehabilitation. Um, so that's that's bad. Um, now, do they know, like, does some, are these people who live with other people or does a friend let them know? Or how does someone know, like, oh, man, I'm in real trouble. I have to go in now to, to get, you know, to detox. Well, they know. Um, um, you know, they know because they see their own pattern changing enormously. So uh, the the insight about whether they cross into dependence is is variable. But the knowledge that their increase has been very significant, oh, they know. Um, obviously, if they're living with somebody um, yeah. and they're living in a pandemic uh, lockdown situation, well, that's very much in that family member's face. And previously, it might have been hidden. It might have been, you know, partially on the way home from work, or it may have been hidden. But um, in a, in a lockdown situation, you can't hide anything from your family members or those that you're sharing a household with. Um, right. It's just extremely visible. And you know, uh, so someone is going out to 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 go to buy in alcohol, or they're getting deliveries of it, um, and so that it's getting delivered to the door and and uh, consumption has has increased and it's very visible so right. the the thing that i find interesting is that uh, uh, you know people are going through it don't or can't or deny it you know because it's such a quick change over such and such a, a dramatic change and it can't be hidden from family or, or friends or or co um, uh, people in the same house uh, because it's that big a change so quickly um, so those that come in know it, um, even if it's it's if it's strongly encouraged by a family member. Mm. Well, I mean, it's like it's like the perfect storm: the uncertainty, the boredom, the anxiety, maybe economic factors. Um, so, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I I was talking about the the degree of anxiety or even clinical depression that occur um, for those whose circumstances may, you know may only have changed in terms of their access to the outside world when you you throw in unemployment when you throw in uh, uh you know say financial pressure or or maybe even you know catastrophic financial pressure when you may talk about you know termination of career prospects maybe in entire industries like uh, restaurant and catering industries going into free fall um, well, in those circumstances, it's not just a general anxiety. It's a very, uh, you know, a perfect storm of anxiety-provoking yeah. factors. And then uh, a lot of those people who are going through even rougher periods can can turn to alcohol, and unfortunately, they are. Absolutely. I'm. Um, I want. I know you're um, an expert on you know suicide and and al alcohol like use. Um, I, so is there? I don't know if there's any data out yet, but um, are we seeing an uptick in suicides or suicide attempts? Um, and could you talk about how alcohol plays into suicide, in your opinion? Well, alcohol is unfortunately a major progenitor or a major causative factor in, in suicide. Um, 
The statistics aren't out yet that I'm aware of. So I can't talk either from statistical information that I'm getting back or from anecdotal observation or feedback from my colleagues um, about whether there has been an uptake, but there certainly could be. And, you know, in the next number of months, uh, when it comes up to a year or so, we may find the statistics then emerging about uh, uh, suicide rates during the pandemic or perhaps alcohol associated suicide rates, but that information isn't available yet. Um, What I can certainly talk about is the very strong association between alcohol and suicide, um, even in the absence of of severe mental illness. That uh, alcohol is a a downer, and about 50% of my alcohol-dependent patients, and a lesser extent of my non-dependent or perhaps heavy-consuming patients, do suffer depression or, or bouts of being down through alcohol consumption. And, and particularly in the West, in the, in the Western, you know, that is Europe and the, the States and Canada and, and, and Australia, that we binge drink. Um, and binge drinking is really bad from a mood point of view. If you're talking about an alcohol consumption pattern that you'd see in Southern Europe, in Spain and France and Italy, where people drink wine and they might drink wine even heavily on a daily basis, um, but not in a binge pattern, they don't have as much depressive or, or mental health issues associated with alcohol. But in, in Northern Europe and Northwestern Europe and in the, and the States and in Australia, the binge pattern of drinking tends to produce, a, 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 frankly, a, a big downer. Um, and as I said, about 50% of my alcohol-dependent patients have uh, clinical depression associated with that. And, you know, it's, 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 it's very individual. Um, some people can find that they'll drink, you know, half a dozen cans of beer in a night and they're fine. But if they have eight cans, well, then they, they t- click over into, into, into depression. Some people, it depends on their level of mood before they go drinking. And so if they're in good form and they go drinking, they're fine. If they're even mildly upset, you know, mild depression, mild anxiety, you know, recent row, just just mild tension, that can enough, that can be enough of a mood disruption that alcohol can take that mild anxiety or depression and make it profound. So alcohol can take that mildly low mood and make it really a whopper of depression at the end of the evening. That's uh, interesting. So, oh yeah, it's it, it, there can be a profound change in mood over the course of a couple of hours, particularly if there's a, a mild depression. Sometimes there's the delay. Sometimes it's not till the next morning or even two or three days later that the alcohol-induced depression actually hits. So you can go out and get drunk on Friday and you can get hit with depression on Monday. Um, so. That there is that that delay factor, which can be bizarre, particularly to someone saying, "I'm through the alcohol." Of course, I should be, but it, it it can hit with that delayed onset. Although, and then sometimes it's just quirky. Sometimes people can go drinking three weekends in a row and they're absolutely fine, and then on the fourth weekend, for no reason, then they they get hit with a bout of depression over the course of the weekend that's alcohol induced. Um, um, that's, I wanted to say, you know, it's interesting. I'm not a big, I don't drink much, actually, I don't, I don't drink much at all the, uh, these days, but I noticed, um, like when I, even if I had just a little bit of wine, like I felt like 
um, subdued for like a lot longer than I thought I would be. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is that? I'm never drinking again. Because I like to get up and run in the morning. And it just felt, yeah, it just felt like melancholy. Uh, (laughs) Not Um, something I experienced when I was like in my early 20s. I'd be fine, you know, like, you know, and and I was in the army too. So obviously there was some, lots of alcohol being had, but like now I'm just like, gosh, no, it's weird. Isn't isn't that interesting? And I'd say your experience is actually really common because, as we were saying before, is that there is a lot of general anxiety out there, but a significant number of people have a degree of general anxiety that goes into clinical anxiety or clinic panic or clinical depression, and they just don't have an awareness that they have crossed over. And similarly, um, it wouldn't surprise me if your experience is, is mirrored in a lot of people and even more extensively is that that general anxiety, maybe low level depression could be pushed over the limit into a full clinical depression by alcohol uh, or, or perhaps another substance. And people just not be aware that that actually is two separate individual factors combining to produce that uh, that flatness um and uh, people don't understand it yeah no i mean it was it, it was it's a it's not a good feeling um it's it's not so, and you, you know some people may have an experience to say you know what i recognize that as depression that's not me that's not you know my outlook in the world that is now uh, a, a, you know a depression or a clinical depression um if you can see that that's wonderful because you can objectify it and say, okay, I understand what's going on. Now it's comprehensible. But if you don't have experience um, and you go through that, you may not experience it as clinical depression. You may actually experience it as my true view of the world or, you know, this is this is this. My life is miserable Um, and it can be a very different and very frightening experience if you haven't got the knowledge to objectify it and say, you know what, I just crossed over, that's that's a dose of depression. I need to avoid that. Yeah, uh, that is so true. And that is probably, I, I think that's a very common struggle um, and people just not knowing at all. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, obviously you, you mentioned the new kinds of treatments with uh, digital, right? Telehealth, digital health, um, obviously, that has exploded out of necessity because of the pandemic. Um, you mentioned that AA was, um, you know, underutilized now because people were not feeling that personal connection. But yeah. are there situations where this is effective? This type of, um, this type of, I guess, treatment. I guess I can say that is, is it is effective for people. And who? How do you know who's going to benefit and who isn't? Well, one of the great tragedies is that um, it's very difficult at this stage, a level of of scientific knowledge about treatment to point out a person at baseline to say, you know what, your your particular type of alcohol dependence is that that will respond to a a telepsychiatry intervention. Yours is the type of dependence that will respond to medication. Yours is the type of that will respond purely to self-help or purely to psychotherapy. We we don't have the knowledge yet to identify those subgroups. So, but what what we can say is that there is a variety of treatments out there, and unfortunately, they are massively underutilized. Um, and you know, there there should be an awareness that actually this is is not a problem which 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 needs to be 
um, a lifelong one or needs to be a, a life destructive one is that there are a number of very effective interventions and some which are becoming, you know, a bit more prominent now that, that the lockdown and then the pandemic have occurred. Um, I mentioned exactly uh, that uh, AA, the self-help aspect of, of intervention, is less commonly used. And that is one aspect of telepsychiatry, which, you know, is, is great that there is, you know, Zoom calls or Zoom uh, uh, AA meetings, but it is a tragedy that it is just felt as being so different by a large number of people who attend AA that they don't utilize it or they utilize it once or twice and say, you know, it's not for me. And unfortunately, they don't necessarily switch to say, oh, I must now talk to a counselor, I must consider medication or I must consider formal um, in intervention um, rather than, than, than pure uh, uh, self-help intervention. Uh, they, they by and large just, just drift away from it. Um, but, but it is important to be aware that there are very effective other interventions. There's medication. You know, pharmacotherapy for alcohol dependence has come on in leaps and bounds over the last decade. And, and there was a, a, a variety of medications which are FDA approved um, that, that are actually very effective. You know, and for example, there is an anti-craving medication, which is as effective as an antidepressant in depression. Um, you know, so it has the same percentage response uh, as a, you know, an antidepressant in depression. And it's, it's an anti-craving medication. It's been around for about 20 years. And it is tremendously mm -hmm. underutilized. Um, and so, you know, the, the name of the particular medication that's FDA approved is called naltrexone. Um, and there's numerous, there's at least 60 double-blind placebo-controlled trials that have demonstrated its efficacy. And it's the, uh, the the tragedy is that the awareness isn't out there that this very safe, effective anti-craving medication is another wonderful, effective way to treat alcohol dependence. Um, you have a variety of, of psychotherapies, and you know there's relapse prevention therapy, there's uh, motivational enhancement therapy. Um, the the unfortunate thing, obviously, is that they have to be delivered by an addiction therapist or an experienced therapist. Um, and while a lot of therapists have shifted online or, or broadened their practice to include online practice, um, it is still difficult to access good quality addiction therapy, probably outside of a rehabilitation center or, uh, you know, an addiction, an addiction therapy practice. Um, but uh, again, we don't have a statistics uh, available to show about the effectiveness of pure psychotherapy online uh, in an addiction format, but a lot of people are shifting to it. And, you know, it's important to know that it's out there. Yeah. Or there are there are programs like the one that, that, that we developed uh, at U-Control Help, um, which is a program called U-Control Drink, which is a scientifically developed and evidence-based and, 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 you know, placebo-controlled trial proven uh, intervention uh, that is in the form of a smartphone app. And it's not uh, telepsychiatry in the sense of it's not chatting to to uh, uh, someone uh, over over uh, an app or, or over an online. Um, it's actually a full range of treatments uh, encapsulated into a smartphone app and that it's been, as I said, clinically proven and scientifically proven. Um, 
There's, so there's a number of those out there. And the, the one that, that, that we developed is called You Control Drink. Um, and it combines things such as cognitive therapy. Um, it combines um, uh, full feedback to uh, if there's an associated clinician, there's a dashboard they can monitor. It combines text messaging support. It combines drink logs, recovery logs, craving interventions. Um, so there's a whole panoply of, of interventions um, encapsulated in the app. And these types of interventions uh, are becoming more available, are becoming uh, more more out there, uh, but not all are, are quite as scientifically proven. Yeah, so uh, that's the one thing that stands out about you control drink, the fact that you did a, um, a randomized control trial, you tested against a placebo. Um, and as you know, there's a ton of stuff out there. Like I can go into probably the Apple store and download something that was made by like 14 year olds, right? Like I don't know, yeah. there's, there's, right. So I think it's so important to stress, you know, the evidence. Um, so I, uh, based on that, um, the, who did you include in your trial? Like who, who was the type of person? And if I'm, you know, I don't know, sitting in my apartment in New York city and I have a drinking problem, um, why should I try this program? And how, like, how do I know this is going to work for me? Well, um, what we did to prove it effectively, we, we, we gathered components together, uh, each of which of the components, for example, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is uh, as, as relapse prevention therapy, so it's modified for addiction and for alcohol, um, has been proven in multiple settings as being an effective intervention. Um, you know, it can be done in group settings, it can be done with a counselor, it can be done with a psychologist, um, but uh, what we did when developing the you control drink is that we took the um, essence of that therapy and we developed initially online and then encapsulated into 12 cognitive therapy sessions and, and placed it within, uh, embedded it into the smartphone app. And then we, we, we tested it and, and proved that it is, is, is effective. So, um, uh, as far as I know, we're the only uh, intervention that has taken cognitive therapy and built it into uh, the app as part of the treatment intervention. Um, then other components are actually individually scientifically aware. For example, even something as straightforward as motivational text messaging a couple of times a day um, in which uh, the text messaging support, just, you know, frankly, at, at the vulnerable times, the first thing in the morning and, and you know, um, in the middle of the evening when, when, when people will be, will be uh, thinking about drinking, is that a simple text message intervention, a motivational intervention, can actually even by itself uh, be, be proven. And, and that's what we've proven in, a, in an independent trial of just the text messaging intervention. We found it uh, effective. Um, so when we put them all together, we did a clinical trial. We tried it in a, in a group of people. We randomized them to no intervention or, or to the, uh, the you control drink intervention. And we followed them. Uh, they, they, they happened to be people that had done a, a full uh, inpatient rehabilitation. And at the end of the rehabilitation, uh, they uh, agreed to, to sign up for the trial and then were randomized. And then were followed quite independently over the six months uh, succeeding their, their discharge to find out, well, did this help the, the rate of relapse and did this help the, the quantity of alcohol consumed over the succeeding six months? 
And we found that initially there wasn't a difference but by three months and, and by six months, there was a statistically significant uh, difference between the app versus treatment as usual in terms of the number of people that relapsed and the quantity in which they, they relapsed to. So um, we were very pleased at that. It matched our own gut instinct, but we're very pleased that the clinical trial demonstrated as well. It was 111 people. Um, it took a number of years to complete the trial, um, and we based it here at our rehabilitation center in Dublin. Um, and so we were very, very pleased to, to, to get that uh, independent and uh, scientifically proven statistical difference. Um, right, so right. that's what I believe uh, is the difference between what we've done versus a lot of other apps, which, as you say, can be, you know, uh, very quick, very sometimes people have alcohol counters, sometimes people have, you know, perhaps motivational messages. Um, but uh, we don't believe there's anything out there that has the scientific backing for the, the interventions that are incorporated into the app. Yeah, and I think that's so important because if you're struggling, you want to know something was tested and works, because uh, otherwise it can feel like just so defeating. I think that you 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 know you try, you download something that hasn't been tested and it doesn't work for you, um, and there's so many programs out there like that. So I think it's a huge distinguishing factor. Yeah, and you know the the the, the awful thing about interventions that don't work or haven't been proven to work is that. Uh, that can really piss people off. Um, and there may be a window of opportunity that might, might arise once in six months or once in a year, um, which is to say, right, there's there's a confluence. I have the motivation. I've got to do something. And I have this gap. Perhaps, you know, I've, I've stayed off for a few days or a week and said, right, I have the motivation. I can do something now. And if they uh, engage with an intervention that's helpful, Fabulous. That can be completely life transforming. But if they engage in something that's not proven or not helpful, um, then, you know, the inevitable happens, lapsing or relapsing occurs. Well, then that can get people pissed off and they may not, you know, get the uh, the forces together to to uh, to get motivation together for the next six months or the next year. And it can be a really, really, um, you know, uh, not just a waste of time. It can be a, a real step backwards. Um, yeah. And uh, so that's 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 a problem when um, unproven interventions are encouraged. Yeah, yeah. And I think, too, like, um, you know, just having been in the military, I think something like this would appeal to a lot of people um, who are struggling. And there's still a, there is, you know, there's still a stigma in certain populations. There just is. There's a stigma. And I think sometimes like these types of treatments can be very appealing and comfortable for some people to try. Um, but they have to try it. They have to know what's out there and they have to use it. Like I was saying to someone this morning, you can have a stationary bike sitting in the corner of your apartment, but if you never get on it and ride it, like you're not going to lose weight, you know, like you're not going to get in shape. So you have to do the work too. Yeah, there, there, there has to be. Um, but also if, if using a bike simply doesn't make a difference, you know, and you use it for a little while, um, you're going to get pissed off going out the window. exercise. Yeah. All exercise goes out the window because that intervention just just simply isn't effective. Um, from what I do understand is exercise can be effective as a, an intervention for for various conditions. But uh, but uh, it can it, it can have a big psychological effect on you if what you do just doesn't help. Yeah, um, no. And I think there are, you know, you mentioned the military. 
as being uh, a place where there's um, a lot of addiction and probably a lot of hidden addiction. Uh, because I know that uh, if you're in the military and you seek help or it becomes public knowledge that you seek help, you know, that that may not help you in your career. There are at least there may be a perception uh, that that will be a, a, a black spot against you in your career. So there's a disincentive to even seek help uh, in a circumstance where you need it. Uh, because there may be, you feel, uh, there may be negative consequences to that from a, a, a career development point of view. Um, but that, that, that's mirrored in all sorts of, of folk in, in different, different um, uh, ways of life. Um, and uh, so any opportunity that arises in terms of motivation or a gap, you know, really needs to be grasped because the damage that can be done is just tremendous. And... You know, um, and it's and it's hidden and it's extensive, and some people only get an awareness when it's too late. You know, so yeah. so any 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 points of of grasped opportunity have to be really really enthusiastically embraced. Yeah, and I think it's uh, you made a great point about how you know this stigma or this perceived you know they're going to view it as a weakness or it might affect my career um, or my ability to get a job or get into a school. Like I feel like that is in many places and it's changing, but it's changing slowly. Um, I just remember when I had an eating disorder in the army, I, I used to like practically low crawl into the therapist office and it was almost, it was so stressful to go. Cause I kept thinking someone's going to see me here and this is going to go on my record and then I'm done. You know, it was, it just, and that almost like fueled my eating disorder in a way. Cause it was so stressful just to kind of like, I've always felt like I was trying to hide out. Um, so I felt, I feel like I would have benefited, granted my problem was with, you know, food and eating and all that, but, um, it could have been with alcohol, who knows, but like, um, I feel like someone like me would have benefited from a program like this. Well, you know, I think the anonymity is absolutely crucial. Um, and one of the attractions is that it's not really face-to-face therapy. So, so some people find the prospect of doing things face-to-face just, you know, uh, just to, too difficult to deal with, uh, that the threat to anonymity is 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 too extensive, um, and they just don't do it. Um, you know, obviously you are brave enough to do it and you know uh, 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 deal with it in, in the context of of you know uh, of those threats to your anonymity. But by dealing with something in a scientific way, in an online anonymous way, it does actually prevent that as being a, a an issue. So that's an added attraction. Uh, that I think it, it does appeal to a lot of people is that you can get good quality intervention, preserve your anonymity, and and uh, God willing, get the get the benefit. Um, yeah. And uh, so, so I I would think that it would be appealing to a lot of people uh, from from that point of view, preservation of anonymity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one final question here. I don't want to take too much of your time. It's it's the weekend. Maybe you have some big plans in the pandemic. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, no. <laughs> um, so are, do you have any final words uh, for someone who might be struggling with addiction right now or someone who sees a family member struggling? Um, how would you advise them? Um I wish there was an easy answer to what you just asked me, because there isn't. Um, uh, the uh, What there is, though, is a ton of evidence 
that interventions are far more successful than non-interventions. Um, and it might be as simple as reaching out to someone uh, in in the you know the, the the recovery community. It might be as simple as reaching out to to a, an addiction treatment specialist or engaging with a, a rehabilitation center. Or it might be as straightforward as downloading a proven smartphone app. Um, but doing something is. 100 times more effective than just thinking about it and not doing it. And it's surprising that research will show that even a brief amount of time uh, spent in the company of uh, perhaps uh, an addiction counselor or a, a mental health nurse who can give just some general advice over 15 or 20 minutes and can have a surprisingly powerful effect. But it really comes down to someone saying, you know, let me do something. And as I said, there's a wide variety of what that something can be, but doing something is just massively more powerful than not. Um, and then if you really want to do something, sticking with it, um, sticking with that something, um, that, that, that counselor, that self-help, that AA, that, that smartphone app, sticking with it has enormous benefits. And, you know, in our time we, trial, we found that, um, uh, the, the benefits emerged even over months. Uh, so uh, there's no doubt that that uh, grasping at that straw um, and keeping a hold of that recovery straw is very, very effective. Unfortunately, not for everybody, but in those that grasp it, there is a tremendous benefit and a vast number of people who get well through grasping at that straw. Thanks so much, Dr. Farron. And just um, can you remind everybody uh, what, if they want to check out You Control Drink, what the website is? Yeah, the easiest way to go to is the You Control Health website, and that is You Control Health, and the the the, the U is a, a, the letter U. Uh, so it's YouControlHealth.com, and there's details on the website about how to uh, download or uh, access the You Control Drink. There's background there. There's some of the scientific information is available, um, and so that's probably the easiest way to get access to it find out about it, and then if someone is interested to, uh, to, to download it, there is, um, you know, there, there's an email address of, of support personnel as well. Um, so the easiest way is the youcontrolhealth.com website. Perfect. Um, thank you so much. This was super informative, and uh, I look forward to sharing it. And um, I'll also uh, share it with you when I, when I finish editing it. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Aaron. It's been a real privilege, uh, and um, I, uh, I hope it doesn't require too much editing. Uh, I'm no. not sure a few phone calls <laughs> will have to be deleted. And uh, <laughs> thankfully, I think I left my profanities at home, so so that I don't think you'll have to Thanks. edit any of those. Yeah. yeah. So I did I did really well. So I you know, used that. mine this morning crossing the street when a car almost hit my dog. Believe me, they well, all came out. I probably used I used your share too, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we weren't podcasting. Uh, you weren't podcasting no. this morning. So 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 thank you for the opportunity, Aaron, and uh, I really I really appreciate it. And just by the way, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing well. You know, just uh, hanging out in New York City. Um, I, yeah, you know, just kind of. <laughs> believe it's beautifully covered in snow at the moment. Is that it right? Is. It is. I, I had Barnaby, my dog, we were out this morning, you know, pl playing in the snow. He loves it. 
So it was, it was, yeah. So it's, it's been, it's been fine. I've been, you know, just trying to keep myself busy with creative projects and stuff. And, um, that's kind of, that's my kryptonite. I guess that's the right word. Like just keeps me excited and happy. Um, I know next week's the holidays and nothing's really going on, but you know, that's okay. Are, Are you celebrating over there? I guess. Yeah, um, there's we're, we're we're we've had a slight gap between lockdowns. Is that we were in lockdown for six weeks until the beginning of December. They loosened up the things, re- reopened restaurants, and then suddenly the numbers have began to go uh, up again. So what the the government is threatening to do is reintroduce a lockdown on the day after Christmas Day on, on uh, what's oh. called St. Stephen's Day here. And so we anticipate that we've got about another week of uh, freedom and then bang, another lockdown, and it'll be, you know, all gyms, galleries, uh, cinemas, restaurants, bars will all be completely shut. And then they're talking about restricting travel to in your county, in your locale only. Wow. So that um essentially i think if for christmas you'll be allowed to go back to your folks in if, if you know outside the city or whatever um but then even for new years the, the rumor is is that that inter-county travel is going to be banned so um it's it's looking at as if it's going to be uh, just a brief um uh, a brief gap between really intense uh lockdowns so it's uh, so it's it's good, you know. I'm uh, you know I'm 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 lucky at my 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 family around me and and the, the um I have three children and they're all back with me. Um, they're in their twenties, but um in in the in the lockdown they they all uh, migrated back. There was there was one and a half had left, and so <laughs> well so now uh, all three are back and and working uh from home um and and so that's it's going to be it's going to be quiet but but um it's 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 good but uh yeah the the the, the lockdown is 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 looming again unfortunately oh wow well i guess uh we just have to do what we have to do I don't, I, I don't think there's any way around it. I mean, at least there is the prospect, you know, we know now that, you know, they started, although they've only a few thousand, they started doing, um, you know, the vaccine um, yeah. the vaccine, and, and it's going to take, you know, as a healthcare worker, I'm, I'm sure I'll get it, but, the, you know, um, it's going to take months and months, probably six months before a significant number of the population is. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't think, you know, this um, lockdown for six weeks freedom for four, lockdown for six. I think that's going to keep going, you know, in, in, in oh, this God. sort of bipolar swing for, for <laughs> uh, so, so now I know. I know. It's kind of like rumspringer. Like I feel that the Amish people, they go like when they leave, they have this period of time where the kids like join the normal, like, well, normal society, a traditional conventional society. And they like go crazy rumspringer. It sounds like, I don't know. It's like everybody goes crazy for four weeks. I don't know. Is that, I guess it's a strategy. I don't know if it's working, but it's, it's um, I think what it does is it keeps the ICUs um, yeah. uh, empty um, because mm. the, 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 that what we notice is that um, the, once the intensive cares begin to fill up, then the public health people get really upset yeah. and start 
locking us down. Um, and um, when the intensive cares are empty uh, or of you know sufficiently calmed down that, 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 that they're not full of COVID, um, then the public health people uh, ease up a bit. Yeah, uh, and I think that's sometimes what like so like the regular population can't understand. You know that like the, that idea of capacity, and I'm all and I always try to say like if if you or your kid gets hit by a car and needs an ICU bed, you want to make sure there's one available. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of like talk to them on like you know like something that matters to them. Otherwise, I feel like it's like too abstract or something. I don't know. Yeah, I, and, and certainly I think that when we went into a lockdown, that that was the reasoning that was most shoved down people's throat is that ICUs are full, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. and uh, that, um, and people can understand that. Um, and, you yeah. know, as, as the more information about how rotten this thing is, yeah. and how awful it is, particularly if you're older, um, they, yeah. uh, you know, it really is seriously life-threatening. There is no, no two ways about it, um, that, uh, that, that people bought into it. But it's such a pain in the neck is that, uh, you know, every so often you get bored and frustrated and, you know, yeah. and and break the rules a bit. And but, you know, you shuffle back in and you, yeah. you again for another month. Um, I just got got an email about someone who wanted to be, come on my podcast and discuss mask knee, which is acne from wearing your face mask too long. And apparently they had a solution for it. I'm like, I didn't even know that word existed yet. <laughs> well, well, there you go. I never heard of that. <laughs> there you go. Um, um, <laughs> you learn something every day. That's uh, right. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll, 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 I'll learn that. That's my my learning point for today. Mask me exists. (laughs) Um, Anyways, thanks so much, Dr. Farron, and enjoy your weekend and um, stay safe and healthy and and to your family as well. Yes. And and thank you for the opportunity to, to, to do this podcast. And Hopefully we can we can you know if, if get catch up and, and maybe yeah. even meet up you know you know in the new year because that uh, I appreciate I'm, I'm I'm definitely coming to Ireland to do a road trip like I I told um you know our Diane our mutual friend Diane that too I'm like I'm uh I'm definitely that's on my radar just yes. not now but. Yeah. Then, then not now. No, I, I wouldn't yeah. advise it now. I think Diana is actually over in Ireland at the moment. She came over from London, but I haven't seen her yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so hopefully we'll get to catch up. And um, all right, but take care and um, love yeah. catching up with you. You and, too. And hopefully we, we 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 bump into each other again in the new year. Definitely. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye now. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Feel free to subscribe, stick around, listen to more Causes or Cures episodes in the future. If you want to reach me, you can do so via my Instagram website, bloomingwellness.com or Facebook. Lately on Facebook, we've been having a lot of lively wellness conversations, um, hearing from a wide variety of people with lots of different perspectives. (laughs) And I enjoy it, man. I enjoy hearing from everybody. Um, Not everybody is like me, but I do. I like hearing what people have to say. Now, if you want to check out Dr. Farron's program, uh, I included the link to You Control Health and You Control Drink in the podcast description. All I can say is 
he's the real deal, guys. Uh, I know him. I, I know the program. Um, and you know you're not getting something made by 12-year-olds, you know, building something in their grandmother's basement. Um, and hey, I'm just, just keeping it real with you. You, you want something that works, right? Um, all right, that's it for me. I have to, I have got to go on my afternoon run here. Um, and that's it. Take care, guys. Chat soon.